My name's Adrian, and I'm one of the pastors here at Carnegie Free. So good to see you. If you're a newcomer here, we extend a special welcome to you. As well, if you're watching online at CarneyEFree.com, we welcome you this morning. Uh, I, I got to talk to a number of people today who just came back to church for the first time these past couple weeks in over a year, and they were so pleased to be back, came up and gave me a hug, which meant so much. If you're new here, if you're uh, a regular that's just come back after a year away, love to connect you after the service, and especially for those who are watching online at home, whenever you're ready to come back, again, feel no obligation on any time frame, but whenever you're ready, please come say hello. I, I, I miss you and would love to see you personally, and it's just a gift to see people that have been away for a year. Talked to two or three of them, though, this morning, and uh, tears were in their eyes as they were back at church, and I certainly feel that after seeing some people that have been away for a long time. We're going to be in John chapter 4 this morning. If you want to turn there with me, we'll enter in in just a moment, pick up the second half of this episode that we started last week. Last week was the first part of John chapter 4 with Jesus and the Samaritan woman. We talked about on mission to our Samaria and kind of a mission Sunday last week. Now we're going to see the fruit of that in the second part of John chapter 4, starting in verse 27. But let me start here, though, this morning, uh, just sharing a little bit of my story. You know, well, when our family moved here back in the summer of 2015, almost six years ago, we knew almost nothing about farming. At, at least me, personally, I can't speak far for Susie, but I knew almost nothing about farming. I was raised in a city I've lived in cities and suburbs my, my entire life. My parents are both from cities, grandparents all from cities. And so I got here and I had an opportunity to learn a number of things from wonderful farmers in our church and our broader community that I just had no clue whatsoever. And it's been a, just a great, great time of learning for me. My perception of farmers when I first moved here came from TV shows and movies. It was like this idea of the farmer with some dirt on his hands after a long day at work, and his wife nearby, maybe holding hands, and the kids close by as they watch the sunset go down over the prairie each night. It's like that, right, farmers? Just every night, correct? Oh, yeah, thank you. Every night. This idyllic portrait of farming is what I had in mind. In talking to farmers over these last number of years, I realize it's not always like that. One of the things that I've most appreciated in talking with farmers is to learn about their many areas of expertise. Like you ask a farmer, what's their field of study? And they start to list for you um, agronomy, ecology, uh, animals, uh, economics, business development, working with the federal government, mechanics, expanding technologies, all these things. It's incredible. And they're kind men, so they turn and they ask me, how about you? What's your area of expertise, Adrian? Theology and... Theology and... Okay, this is kind of embarrassing, but they're gracious. And in talking to farmers, you get to learn about their dependence on God to provide rain and to care for the land and the sense of interdependence within their family. And it's been fascinating to, to me, anyway, to see how farming impacts everything else in Nebraska. 
Like there's no industry in Nebraska, at least that I've seen, that's not to some degree impacted by the health of the agriculture industry in our state. So I've, I've definitely learned a lot about farming. Well, when I came here, my knowledge of farming extended about as far as my garden box. And now I've learned a few extra things, but I know nobody would mistake me for a farmer. Everyone laughed at me in the first service when I said that. Okay, I know that. You just got to own who you are. That's fine. Nobody would mistake me for a farmer now that I have just about an ounce of information about farming from some of these friends. But it's interesting, in this passage that we're going to look at here this morning, Jesus says, I'm a farmer. And he says, you are too. Whether you were by trade or not, you are a farmer. He intends us to do the hard work of tilling hard soil, of planting seeds in hearts and minds, and sometimes the rewarding and beautiful work of being able to harvest those seeds that God has ripened. We'll pick up the story here. In John 4, starting at verse 27, Jesus just got done talking with this Samaritan woman Uh, She goes back to Samaria from Jacob's well to go tell her friends and family about this man that she believes to be the Messiah. Let me pick up the story there. Okay, sorry about that. Talk amongst yourselves. Okay, I think I have it. Thank you for your patience. Verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat which you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest right now. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this passage. 
We thank you for the power that is in it and the invitation that you give to us. We acknowledge, Lord, as we open up your scriptures that they are of divine origin and they are meant to feed our souls. We also acknowledge, God, that we have many things on our minds as we come to church on any Sunday. And so we'd ask that perhaps for the next half hour or so, you would just give us a focus on the truth of your scripture that we might begin to apply it to our lives a little bit more. Would you feed us this morning? Would you give us ears to hear beauties from your scripture? In the name of Christ, our Savior, we pray together. Amen. Last week, of course, we talked about the context of this story. And Jesus, again, is in Samaria talking to this woman at a well who has a very speckled past. As a reminder, Jews of the day were not supposed to speak with Gentiles, particularly Samaritans, because of the long-standing tension that they had. On top of that, Jewish men were not supposed to speak with women, and they specifically were not supposed to talk with this kind of woman, with this kind of history, with a reputation behind her that made her a sinful kind of woman, at least in their eyes. But Jesus is not too interested in our traditions and social norms. So Jesus enters in and he converses with her. And last week, the, the big idea that we noted, which is worthy of repeating here for, for just a moment, we said this, multi-ethnic appreciation, which Jesus demonstrates here, Jew and Samaritan coming together, multi-ethnic appreciation naturally occurs when we do what Jesus was doing here, when we spend time in Samaria on other people's turf, listening to stories that are different than our own listening to and learning from people that are different than we are. Jesus is tired and thirsty from walking all day. He started in Judea. He's made it halfway to Galilee. Now he's exhausted and his friends are out getting food as he is sitting at this well in Samaria, Jacob's well. This woman, again, with a really hard pass, comes and sits down next to him at the well, and he asks her for a drink of water. It's noteworthy that this is the middle of the day, and she's alone. Gathering water was a communal activity in which women in any village would go to the well together. It would be a social event in which they would gather water, particularly in the morning, and then take it to their homes for the remainder of the day. Sometimes they'd also have to return back to the well in the evening when it's cool and get another jug of well and bring it back. But here she is in the middle of the day gathering water alone. Why is that? Because she's an outcast even within her own village. The other ladies don't want anything to do with her either because of her past. So she's lonely She's living life in solitude, and he comes to her and asks her for a drink of water. In this moment of humility and vulnerability, he says, please, dear, would you give me a drink? You see, Jesus could not have touched her life if he would not have put his Jewish lips to her Samaritan cup. 
So he does that, as we noted last week. He puts his Jewish lips to her Samaritan cup, meets her right where she is, starts interacting about her life, about her history, and then he goes on to tell her that he has come to bring her living water such that she would never thirst again. You see, this woman had a story that basically she was looking to men to fill the God-shaped void in her heart. All of us have a God-shaped void in our heart. You know that? Every single one of us has a God-shaped void in our hearts, and we look to other kinds of things to fill the void that is made for only God to fill. Some of us fill it with money. Some of us fill it with power. Some of us fill it with human affirmation. She filled it with other men. And Jesus said, I have come for this purpose, to be your Messiah and fill the void that you have been attempting to fill all of these years. And he breaks down the barriers in this moment between Jews and Samaritans, but all the more, he breaks down the barriers between God and ordinary sinful humans like us. By offering himself, he says, I will fill that void And I will be the one that fills the gap between you and God. And today, as the story continues, he's convincing his followers likewise to value the diversity that God has made even in Samaria. In much the same way as he says multi-ethnic appreciation occurs as we get into Samaria, so also sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ occurs as we get outside of our little circles whatever our little circles might be, and we learn from and listen to others and the unique stories that they have. It's really very, very simple. We all have a little circle that we like to stay in. I do too. All of us do. Probably 10 or 20 people that we feel particularly comfortable with, maybe less, and we like to spend our time there alone. And obviously it's fine to spend plenty of time there, but what Jesus would have us do is be on mission with him. Did you get that? Which means getting outside of our circle to some degree on some occasions such that we can impact the world for the kingdom of God. This happens for this woman as Jesus is, again, outside of his circle, listening to her story, spending time on her turf, hearing her heart's cry. And she learns that he forgives her and welcomes her into God's family. So you just imagine, here's a woman who's been so universally condemned wherever she goes, and all of a sudden, her sin and guilt and shame is canceled. And God in flesh says to her, you are welcome into the family of God. You may not be welcome anywhere else, but you are welcome in the family of God. And she says, oh, thank you. Oh, thank you, you would come even for me. And the next thing she does is she races to her village to tell everyone about this man who has changed her life instantly. And friends, this is what we get to be involved with in people's lives. The Apostle Peter puts it this way. He says, always set apart Christ in your heart. Revere Christ in your heart. The word for that is prioritize Christ, place him first. So you place Christ first in your heart each and every day. Here's how you do it, basic training here, okay? Basic training. You place Christ as first in your heart every single 
day. And as you do that, the next thing that you do is you say, God, I want to be an instrument of your hope to some people today. 1 Peter 3 says this, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. So God, would you please give me an opportunity to share your hope with some other people today? Maybe there's someone particularly though that I've been praying for. God, would you give me an opportunity to share your hope with that person today? And in anything, whoever I might speak with, again, we'll look at verse 15 once again, leave it on the screen. In anything, God, would you please help me to always share your truth with gentleness and respect. It's a beautiful passage that says, if we live this way, people will be curious enough about your life that is different than other people's lives because you have hope, because you have the fragrance of Christ in you, because there's something tasty about us as we dwell with Jesus and prioritize him first, other people will be curious. You believe that? That's what the Bible says. From first to last in the New Testament, the scriptures say this is how it's done. We invite people near as we get outside of our circle. We prioritize Christ, and then there's something attractive to us. And no matter who they are, we always speak. It could be an enemy. It could be a friend. It could be the kind of people you just don't like being around. It could be a Samaritan. A Samaritan. And you say, I treat you with gentleness and respect. And what I've found over the years is the more we do that, the more we live that way, the more we pray that way, the more frequently we find that the fields are indeed ripe for the harvest. Maybe not everywhere always, but we find that there are people around us that are curious about the hope that we have amidst the storms of life as we root and establish ourselves in Jesus Christ our Lord. So what I want to do here for the remainder of our time, all of that was just the intro. We might be here till I don't know, 1 o'clock or so. Okay, maybe not. Um, what I want to do here for the remainder of our time is just really, really quickly give you three ways that we, I think, can unintentionally choke out the harvest. Three weeds that get in the way of our being a part of God's mission to this world. Here's the first. The first weed is this. Digesting too much of this world and not digesting enough of God's word. The disciples went into town to get some snacks while Jesus was talking to this woman and hours later, as the woman runs into town exclaiming that she has met the Messiah, the disciples come back and they tell Jesus to eat some food. And Jesus says, I'm quite satisfied, actually. I'm doing just fine. I don't need any food. And they're like, well, did someone else bring you some food? And he said, my food is to do the will of my Father. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work that he has given me to do. He's reminding us, he's reminding his disciples that the food which satisfies us at a much deeper level is the food of receiving his word from the scriptures and also receiving his word from the still quiet voice of the Holy Spirit. 
that we spend time actually listening to God on a regular basis, that we open up his word, perhaps we read a parable or we study a passage of scripture and we sit on it, we journal it, and we say, God, is there something that you want to teach me from this short passage of scripture? A simple way, though, that you might do that each week is just taking the passage for study for next week's sermon and studying that ahead of time, sitting on that one passage for an hour or so and saying, God, is there something in this that you want me to apply to my life? Meditating on the word day and night, as Psalm 1 says. As we meditate on God's scripture, we get filled with that which actually satisfies. So Jesus says that he's the bread of life. That's interesting. Could he actually nourish us? Yes. Yes, he could. But it requires meditating on his word, chewing on it, enjoying it, kind of like a cow with its cud. Chews on it, goes down into its belly, comes back up and chews on it some more. To do that well with the scriptures. See how much I've learned about farming? (laughs) To do that well with the scriptures on a regular basis gives you a different level of power than most Christians have. Because the sad reality is most Christians are being choked out by this world. Jesus said also, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so he's inviting us to feast a little bit more on the word as opposed to constantly feasting on the banquets of this world. That can apply to food. And it's a really good thing to fast from food on a regular basis to awaken our hunger for God. But I think particularly today it really applies to media. To fast from all different forms of media, social media and traditional media and otherwise, to fast from them for even a week or two. I hear many people say, I just don't have much time to spend listening to God's word. Well, you just eliminate those for a week or two and I guarantee you, you have plenty of time. And then you can feast on God's word and have your heart awakened again to to the things of God. And there's a power there that will give you new kinds of emotional and spiritual resources than we have on our own when we just dwell in this world as it is. Far too often today, Christians are ingesting so much from this world, and so we wonder why we don't look too much different than other people we interact with in this world. You want to look different, spend more time in the word and less time in the junk that comes from the media of our world. Second weed that will choke out the harvest is an unwillingness to get messy with people, an unwillingness to get into people's messy lives. One pastor has said that if you want to influence other people for the cause of Christ, then sometimes you have to sit in the smoking section. Sometimes you have to go to circles that are different than your own and be willing to get messy with people right there. Sometimes you have to be willing to go to the other side of the tracks. You have to be willing to go into Samaria. The disciples didn't want to go into Samaria, but as they became overwhelmed by Jesus' love for Samaritans, and then as they became overwhelmed by Jesus' love for them, then they were willing to go into Samaria. And so it is with us, that as we're overwhelmed with God's love for us, 
and we're overwhelmed with God's love for other people who look differently than us, who sin differently than us, who vote differently than us, all of a sudden, well, we don't see them as those kinds of people. We just see them as folks that are made in the image and likeness of God whom Jesus gave his life for. And I, even I, get to be a part of pointing them to the hope that is found in Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, praise you, God. You are so kind to involve even ordinary folks like us. What a gift. Now, earlier in the same story, Jesus is with this woman, and he says to her, go call your husband and then come back, and we'll talk some more. And she says, I don't have a husband, to which he says, you got that right. Because she had five, and now she was on her sixth. And I probably couldn't have said that to a woman. I wouldn't say that to a woman, but he's the son of God. And he says it to her as a way to provoke further conversation with her and to let her know, I know your complete story. But the point for today is he is choosing to get messy with her. That's a messy conversation, isn't it? He gets into the mess well, with this woman so that he can touch her life. And now they're talking about her previous marriages and this man that she's now cohabiting with. And uh, Jesus is just sitting there with her, hanging out with her. This is who Jesus is. He would be willing to hang out in the smoking section. Jesus would be more than willing to hang out at the homeless shelter. Jesus is more than willing to hang out with loan sharks and tax collectors and prostitutes and other kinds of people that make church people uncomfortable. He does not care about how bad someone's reputation might be. Instead, he gets up close to people in the mess of their lives, and then here's what happens after he does so. Verse 39 Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Might he be the Messiah? So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And because the disciples learned from Jesus to enter into the mess, many more people in Samaria came to be followers of Christ themselves. I'll never forget a couple years ago, we were uh, doing interviews for a really important position here at our church, the director of care ministries and women's ministries. And we have a great history at Carney E. Free of meeting people right where they are, not expecting people to get cleaned up but before coming here. You come as you are, I come as I am. You're not okay and neither am I. And that's just fine. And part of that is because of the wonderful care ministries that we have here, grief share, and blended families, and recovery ministries, and divorce care. And so we were interviewing for this open position in care ministries, and we were at someone's house far from the church, and there were probably 10 care ministry leaders around a circle, all asking questions to a woman named Carrie Carpenter. And they were firing these questions to Carrie, and she was doing a great job answering them. And at one point in the conversation, Brad Brandt, our leader of the recovery ministry, piped in, and he said, the thing I love about Carrie is she is unafraid to enter into the mess of people's lives. She is so good at meeting people right in the middle of the pain. She's unafraid of that, and she loves to point people to the Savior who is able to clean us up. And so we hired Carrie in an instant, and she's been killing it ever since. 
And, okay, we can clap for Kerry. But, this, I mean, this is just kind of basic. It seems like graduate-level work, this is basic elementary school-level work for growing Christians. That we say, here I am, I want to slowly but surely grow into the mess of other people's lives, love them right where they are, and point them to the Savior who is able to heal. Now, here's the third weed that can sometimes choke us up. It's an unwillingness to invest in people across time. If you're unwilling to invest in people across time, you're going to have a hard time participating in the harvest field that God is bringing about. Jesus looks over the unharvested field of Samaria and he teaches his mentees, don't you have a saying, verse 35, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open up your eyes and look at the fields, they are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. What Jesus is talking about here is the span of time between planting a field and harvesting a field several months later. And they were in Samaria at a time that the fields were just starting to get green, and perhaps the farmer has a moment to sit back in his chair and sip some lemonade and say, wow, the plenty is coming. And I get to rest for a few moments, but before that, plenty grows up in front of us. But Jesus abruptly interrupts that image, and he says, look out. I know it's not harvest time for the fields, but look out, the harvest is ripe. Right now, he says, he changes the image from literal, physical, agricultural harvest fields to the harvest of people in front of you, and he says, the fields are now ripe for harvest. Go out and point people to my love. He says, other people have done the hard work of going before you to prepare the field such that you now get to be a part of the harvest. Who are the other people though, that went before? We're not told. Perhaps it was John the Baptist and he went to Samaria. Or perhaps it's just Jesus himself that was at the well with the woman and he plants a seed in that woman's life and she forsakes the gathering of water for the gathering of Samaritans, her own people. And she goes off to become a missionary to her own people. And as a result, the harvest fields are all of a sudden open and ripe for the disciples to go out there. But the point in all of this is there are some people that plant and there are others that even before that have to work the really hard land and till the soil and then there's others still who are responsible for watering the seeds that have been planted and sometimes others get to come in and they get to reap the harvest field that is ready when people are ready to embrace Jesus Christ as Savior. But no matter what, whether you're a planter or a waterer, or a harvester, you don't get any credit. God gets all credit. Because he's the one that's been going ahead of us in the first place. And we're all a part of a team underneath Jesus' sovereignty, a part of doing his work of pointing people to the majestic love of God. You know, it, it bears repeating that there's really only three things that can happen if you share Christ's love with someone. 
They say, yes, yes, please, I want some of that. I don't have any hope in my life. I don't have any way to get my sins forgiven. I'm covered by shame, yes, please. And that happens. Or they might say, no thanks, not right now. Or they might say, I'll think about it. And so you get to plant a seed. And sometimes we get so fearful of the no that I'll get rejected when in truth, we shouldn't be fearful of that at all because they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Christ and his message. That we miss out on the opportunities to simply plant seeds wherever we go and share bits of Jesus' love well wherever we go with gentleness and respect. Like how many times did you have to hear the gospel message before you embraced the gospel message? I bet it was at least 12 or 13 times for me. So people were faithful slowly but surely across time to plant seeds into my heart and into my mind and then eventually saw someone got to lead me to the hope of Christ that I embraced. But it's not so much something to be feared because it's either yes, no, or plant a seed. It's hard work to be a farmer and not many are willing to do it. It's hard but really rewarding work to be a farmer and not many are willing to do it. And so also well, when it comes to being a farmer for Christ, it's hard but it's really rewarding work and not many are willing to do it. Who's one person that you would love to know the tender mercy of God? Who is one person right now that you know their lives would be more stable if they knew the strength of Christ? Who's one person that you would think of right now who doesn't know forgiveness? And if they realize that their shame could be canceled, they would have renewed hope. Would you begin praying for that person? Would you begin looking for opportunities to share the hope that you have with that person? Because God invites ordinary folks like us to be a part of the hard but beautiful work of planting seeds and watering those seeds and occasionally even harvesting the great work that he's doing of drawing people near to Jesus Christ our Lord. There's all these different ways that we can choke out the harvest. But if we get more of the word into our lives than the world into our lives, if we're willing to go into Samaria, if we're willing to invest in people across time, if we're willing to get messy with people, my guess is we'll be surprised at how often the harvest fields are actually ripe right here in Kearney, Nebraska. So Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that you're always at work. We thank you that through your son, Jesus Christ, you're always drawing people to yourself. We thank you that your word tells us you're not willing that anyone would perish, but you're longing for everyone to come to eternal life in Jesus Christ. And as we come to a passage like this, we just pause and we recognize that is indeed what is at stake. It's eternal life. It's not just a happy-go-lucky Sunday morning. It's not some nice Christian fellowship. It's eternal life. And so, God, we want to be a part of that. 
We want to be a part of planting seeds for the gospel and watering those seeds that some might sprout, and we want to be a part even of introducing others to the Savior who has changed our lives. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came in and you changed my life. I was going on a path to destruction, and you entered in and you changed my life. And I thank you, Lord, that you have entered in, you've changed the lives of so many people in this room and so many people watching online. And we'd ask, God, that you would refresh us again with a new movement of your love, a new movement of your spirit, that we would even be overwhelmed by an ocean of your love. That the most natural thing would be wanting to share it with others. Not to look down at other people, but to love people where they are and to meet them with the hope of Christ. In it all, God, we will be careful to give you all glory. The harvest is yours, and it's our delight to partner with you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.